Welcome to Unconventionally Speaking, the PSA podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn about the triumphs and tribulations that help shape the careers of our Unconvention 2022 learning gurus and experienced masters. Not only will you get a sneak peek into their session, you'll also gain valuable insight into the speaking business and tips on how to navigate the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. Welcome back to another episode of the PSA Unconvention podcast. Now, today I am thrilled, excited, wee bit amazed to have a fantastic guest on for us. He is the man with a hand on technology and the future of technology as it impacts on business all the way from WA. Will you please welcome Gihan Pereira, CSP. Welcome, Gihan. Thanks, Laurie. Great to be here. Uh, now, before we get too carried away, there might be some people who are listening who are like, who is this Gihan Pereira that you're talking about? So give us the two to three minute verbal showreel. What do you normally speak on? What makes your audience go, Ugh. Yeah, thanks, Warwick. And look, I used to be a technology guru and a technology expert, but uh, I've, I'm not doing that anymore. And so now I'm a business futurist. So really talking to leaders and their teams and organizations about two things. So one is everyone wants to know what's really exciting about technology and what's coming up in the future. But now, especially as a result of COVID-19, uh, people also want to know how do we manage all this uncertainty? How do we lead? How do we create strategic plans knowing that the world might change around us next week or next month? So it's, it's both of those things, leading in uncertainty and also uh, what are the cool trends and technology and just changes that are happening in the world. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, and you you have been in this futurist mode for for a few years now. So like many Hollywood superstars, they had a secret career before they became famous. What was yours before you became a professional speaker? What was it that you did? Oh, okay. Giving away dark secrets here, Warwick. Okay. So um, <laughs> I started my professional life as a, as a software developer, computer programmer. And uh, so I did that for a while. And then I started my own business as a web designer and designed a lot of websites for speakers. I think I designed your first website, Warwick. You did um, indeed. Yeah, yeah, long, long time ago. So that's how I really got in- introduced into the speaker community. But I was a, I was a supplier at the time as a web designer, as a social media consultant. And I've only been doing this futurist thing for about, for about a decade now as a keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. Right. So what was the turning point? What shifted you from being the, the IT guru to the professional speaker? Cause I, I have, I have recollections. There was a, I think it's a Jazzco, there was a, a digital recorder that I recorded many uh, CD products on that you referred and gave instructions on how to use. I actually think I bought one of your instructional manuals on how to use it. So what was it that shifted you from the IT supplier to the speaking realm? Yeah, that's right. I, I even forget the name of that product now, but that's a lot of what I was doing where I just advising speakers and trainers and facilitators how to get better with their, with creating products, going online, working with their websites and adding things to their websites that would make them more interactive. And look, I reckon a couple of things happened. So one is that uh, when I was first building websites, it was pretty early in the days of web. And uh, I really admired some of those early clients like you, Warwick, who kind of believed it, that this internet thing would have a future. Because I actually did have people saying, oh, do you think this is just a bit of a fad? It's going to be a passing fad. And I said, yeah, okay, you're not for me. <laughs> there are other clients who actually believe in it. Um, and at the time, they were really 
They're really world-class websites. So I built the first PSA website way back in when it was called NSAA. Uh, David Price was the national president at the time, and he was really pushing this idea of technology. And uh, he and the committee at the time put a lot of faith in me and said, can you build us a website? And at the time, to build a website where you could go in and upload your own photos and change your topics and have a searchable database, that was really, really cutting-edge stuff. And I also realized, after a while, there was a lot of better technology coming on. And you know, I was pretty good at keeping up to date. But soon I realized that I that I really wasn't world class anymore. And I'm not saying I was better than anyone else, but I always wanted to be up there with everybody else. So I was kind of looking around for something different. So I guess I was subconsciously thinking about what might be uh, what might be around the corner. And then one day I got an email which was supposedly from Forbes magazine. And Forbes magazine said, oh, in next week's edition, we're going to uh, list you as one of the 10 uh, leading social media experts in your area of expertise and a social media influencer. And I remember thinking, wow, that's interesting. So I asked my girlfriend, Sharon, at the time, I, I said to her, do you think this is real? Do you think this is a scam? And she said, oh, no, it could be real, but let me just check whether I've got one of those emails as well. <laughs> and uh, it turned out it turned out to be real. So they they rated me on whatever they uh, whatever criteria they used as one of the top ten social media influencers in the world, number one in Australia, uh, in an area particular area of expertise. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was like hanging around with Matt Church and his thought leaders group, and I was kind of on the side as a bit of a wannabe thought leader. And I said to Matt, "Look, I just want to do something with this this Forbes thing." It seems like something that I can leverage. And Matt said, yeah, great, great. Come along and uh, I'm running this speakership program or speaker, I forget what it's called now, but it was basically, he took a group of eight people and he coached them for a year, mentored them in becoming a keynote speaker. And that was kind of the thing. I said, okay, I'm in, so I'll sign up for that. Um, it was based in Sydney. So I spent a lot of time that kind of, that year flying across the country and uh, invested a lot of time time and money and effort and energy with Matt. And that was really the thing that changed. Fantastic. Okay, that's not a bad turning point. You know, Forbes listing you a number one social media influencer in Australia. Like, that's a significant turning point. I just want to quickly chat about uh, something you said about flying backwards and forth. Now, you're, for those people who don't know, you're Perth-based. But you actually moved over to Queensland for a while. How has living in Perth impacted your business, particularly at the moment with the pandemic and the lot, like Perth and WA have been very quick to close borders? What sort of impacts that had for you? Yeah, look, I, I think it's been really interesting. Like, uh, obviously, Australia as a whole has done really well with managing the health crisis of COVID-19. I think one, one of the best of, in terms of leading economies, I think only Australia and China have done really, really well in managing the pandemic. But of course, as we know, within Australia, it's been up and down depending on where you live. And so for us in Western Australia, we closed borders very quickly, which meant that we could open up for events much sooner. So I was speaking at a 700-person conference in September 2020. So even in the first year of COVID-19, you know, we were able to run events here because we basically had zero COVID. And now it's kind of turning the other way around. So Mm -hmm. um, the rest of Australia is about, it's a few months ahead of us in terms of now what we're doing is living with COVID. And so I think that events, in-person events are going to be a bit more iffy uh, on this side of the country for a few months. And uh, then after that, we'll get back to 
you know, a new kind of normal where we're living with COVID. But the other thing about Western Australia is like I've lived here most of my life since I was nine years old. And it's, I think it's a perfect time zone because we're in this Asian century now. And mm. Western Australia is perfectly placed for that. Same time zone as China, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, pretty close time zone to India. And if you think about India and China, the two biggest countries in the world, and they're going to be um, leading nations economically in our future. So I think, so I love the fact that I've I've stayed here long enough that now it's become the best place in the world to live. <laughs> um, so uh, pre-COVID, what percentage of your business was WA versus the rest of the country? It was actually probably a minority of it was in WA, and right. uh, but most of it, and, and also this is partly what I was targeting, Warwick. So most of the work that I was doing was around Australia. I wasn't mm. really looking for a lot of international work because, I mean, I love travel. Nikki and I love traveling, but we're happy to travel for holidays. And yeah. then, you know, we'll travel for work domestically. And so for me, I had, a, I had a really, really good system set up that if I was speaking at a conference, it might be the opening keynote note in, say, in Melbourne or Sydney. So I'd fly over the night before because I had to do that. I mean, have a good night's rest, wake up in the morning, go to the gym, have a breakfast, get to the conference venue, speak, uh, maybe run a little bit of a workshop of my own for my own clients in the afternoon, fly home the following night. And it was a really, really good system. And I was really in the zone of doing that and had very, um, very clear processes on how to make that work. And I know other keynote speakers have a similar thing. And then when COVID hit, of course, um, a lot of the work came back to Perth. So a lot of the work that I could do was in Perth. And I'm lucky. Like we've got three really world-class conference venues within 10 minutes drive of my home in Perth. So it's been fantastic and it'll continue mm. to be now, I think, a mix. Yeah. Uh, so what about, was there ever a time when you just went, oh man, this is just too hard and I just want to throw it all in. Um, has there been a time for you that where that's happened? And if so, what did you do to keep going? Yeah, that's interesting. I reckon the first couple of years were quite tough as a keynote speaker. And I think that's because the, well, I know it's because of the way that market, the market looks at keynote speakers. So like, you know, this work because you've done a lot of keynote speaking and I know a lot of other people have done this as well. The main thing that you've got to do as a keynote speaker is make the conference organizer look good. And mm. it's oh, the person who booked you, the client who booked you, it's like their reputation is riding on the fact that they've booked this keynote speaker. And it's not even look good. I think it's uh, you, you just got to be sure that you don't stuff up. Right. And so <laughs> when you've got this unknown speaker who is good because, you know, been coached by Matt Church and Matt kind of invites his network of bureaus and clients to have a look at these speakers that he's coached. So there's a little bit of credibility that goes with that, but still you're an unknown. So, if, um, you know, like the first year I got eight bookings. The next year I got nine and year three, I got 25. Because now somebody who was looking for me has probably heard about me from somebody else, or even if they haven't, they could talk to one of their mates or they talk to another bureau and they'd say, yeah, this Gihan Pereira, he's good. He's good. And, mm -hmm. uh, you're worth it's worth taking a risk on him so this first couple of years were pretty tough because uh i thought i thought i was better than i thought i'd get more bookings than i did and mm. it was it was always a bit disheartening when i'd have i'd be put in a list or somebody approached me and then i would just get rejected i, w I wouldn't get the booking um but it was just a matter of time and i think in that time warwick one thing i decided to do was to control the things that i could 
So I decided that if I got a booking, I would be absolutely the, the easiest and best speaker they've ever worked with. Um, not when I was on stage, but even before that. So, you know, like, you know, that a client is going to ask for your photo, your bio, um, introduction for the MC, um, dietary requirements, some, some simple things like that every client is going to ask for. So I made sure that I sent that to them even before they asked. I didn't even wait until they asked and then sent it by the deadline. I made sure that it was you know, available to them. Now we even set up a private page for each client to say, here's where you can download that information. And that just made their job easier because they've got a million things to, to think about and take care of. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to be the best and the easiest speaker to work with. And I think that helped because it's something I could do. It's something that I could do well. And it was completely within my control. Yeah, and, and that's you, you're absolutely correct. I've got to tell you because as a host, I deal a lot with uh, event organisers, and it is a massive frustration that the speakers do not give the key information. And for those of us in the PSA Facebook group, I put a little bit of a rant about it the other day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just like, it's simple. You know you're going to get asked for a bio. You know you're going to get asked for a synopsis. You know you're going to get asked for photos and an introduction. Why would you not give it in advance? So your concept of make it easy is just a fantastic one. I'm really interested because you were you were the Forbes influencer uh, and social media guru. Then you've gone to futurists. What triggered that? Like, and how hard was it to shift topic? Because as you've said, you get known, so you've gone from your handful of gigs to 25 and now more. It must have been a challenge to shift that. So what what inspired you to change topics, and how hard was it? Yeah. Okay. So the inspiration is I've always been interested in the future and not, not specifically about technology, but what technology enables for people. I love the way that people can connect more and engage more and talk about important topics like, um, you know, like social issues and technology has enabled that to happen. So it's kind of something I've always been interested in from a personal viewpoint. In terms of changing Warwick, it, like lots of people have asked me, how did you do this? And it, it was a complete career change. It really was. So the clients that I had when I was a web designer and a social media consultant were people like you. They were speakers, trainers, coaches, Coaches, facilitators. So that that database that I had was completely useless um, in terms of future bookings for clients. I mean, there are some. Don't get me wrong. There's some. I've got some great friends in PSA and through the speaker community who've supported me, encouraged me, and even referred work to me. But they're not the people who book me. And so basically, I had to start again from scratch. I remember one year when I was revising my blog, I deleted 600 blog posts from my blog because they were all about my old business, my old career, and they weren't serving me anymore. And so sometimes I think you've got to bite the bullet and say, yep, I'm going to change and now's the time to do it. It doesn't mean that you have to do that immediately, but I was reasonably confident that this futurist keynote speaking gig would last me for a while. So I said, yep, now's the time to do it. So yes, sometimes you do have to just make that um, career shift rather than a smooth career transition. Must have been so hard deleting all those blog entries because we go through so much to get the blog entries there to then go, yep, that's all got to go. Years of my work no longer serving me. How hard was it to press that delete button? Yeah, look, it, it was. It was hard. And I decided I'm going to trash it. I'm not just going to make them private or hidden. I said I'm going to delete them. But also I get inspiration from... Uh, 
you know, young people in my life, Warwick. So uh, like my stepdaughter, she's on Instagram and she posts Instagram stories and stories are things that only last for, what, 24 hours, I think. So it's not even a post that will stay on there forever. It's a story mm-hmm. which will disappear after 24 hours. So like Gen Zs and uh, some of the Gen Ys, that's their mentality. Like for me, mm-hmm. as a Gen X hoarder, everything I want, everything I create, I want to store and even even leverage and create other products from it you know yeah the sort of stuff that i was teaching you and other speakers to do yeah. right but it doesn't have yeah. to be that way um and especially mm. as a futurist i have to and this is this is a something i have to keep remembering for myself is that the world is changing and some of the stuff that we knew isn't true anymore and we have to sometimes not just relearn but sometimes even unlearn things and so mm. some of the things that i was deleting um it's not only that my career had changed, but even if it kept going the same career, they, they were wrong. They weren't yeah. wrong at the time I posted them, but they were wrong now. And yeah, that yeah, yeah. through in every area of life. Um, as I, you said, you were the, one of the people who inspired me and taught me a lot about creating products. And in fact, I have recollections. I think you got a stack of your mum's recipes and had your, a Sri Lankan cookbook that you were selling online at one stage. Which, you know, as being married to a Sri Lankan myself, that is a well, a worthy investment, those Sri Lankan <laughs> recipes. So what about now, um, as your business has evolved and you're speaking more futurist, the term speaker or the speaking industry has evolved so much. What other ways do you generate revenue or connect with the audiences beyond standing on stage or in front of a camera delivering a keynote? Yeah. Okay. And so for me, I made a, I made a conscious choice that I would focus on keynote speaking. So like 80% of my income, let, let's even say pre COVID, about 80% of my income came from speaking, from keynote speaking. So it meant that I was always looking for new clients. I was always fine tuning and refining my keynotes. And that was the bulk of my income. I do run some master classes. So occasionally people would say to me, can you come and run some in-depth leadership program for our team? I do help a little bit with facilitation. I'm not a really good facilitator and there's some fantastic facilitators out there. But quite often when a team's doing um, strategic planning, they'll bring me in at the start to give them a futuristic view of their profession or their ind- or their industry. And then that'll feed into their strategic planning. So that's been kind of like 10 or 20% of it. In terms of products, I do a lot of products online and, uh, you know, even physical products like books, but I tend not to make much, uh, uh, they're not really revenue streams for me, Warwick. What I tend to do is I will bundle them in together with my keynote. So if somebody books me for my keynote, they get it for X dollars. But in, in addition to the keynote, they also get a digital copy of my book for everybody, um, three months access to my membership site, some pre-recorded videos that they can use for training sessions with their teams, um, some ideas on how to make their, uh, their team meetings more innovative. And that's all bundled in together. And it does two things. So one is people feel that they're getting more value from me than just a keynote. Mm. And, and the second thing from a commercial viewpoint, it, it gives me some flexibility and leverage to adjust my fee if I need to. 
So if I mm-hmm. quote my fee and they say, oh, that's not going to fit my budget, then I say, okay, what's your budget? We've got some things. Maybe we can remove some of these value add pieces and make it fit the budget. And it's a, it's a nice, easy, I think an elegant way for me to talk about fee, for me to do fee negotiation without having to, you know, the, the worst thing is if someone says to me, if someone says, what's your fee? You don't want to go back to them and say, well, what's your budget? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, but I can do it this way. If someone says, what's my fee? And we've had a conversation about it and I'm happy to quote my fee with all these inclusions, but it gives me the option to reduce it. Um, like not massively. Obviously, sometimes it's not going to fit, but it does give me the ability to, to adjust it slightly in a way that's commercially professional. Um, but, but means that everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great way to sacrifice, let's say, ten to twenty percent of the fee, without just going, oh, you want it cheaper? No worries, I'll take twenty percent off for nothing. It's just like, okay, well, I'll take twenty percent off, but you don't get access to this, that, and the other. And because most of these add-ons are digital, the the actual cost to you is negligible, if anything. Um, So yeah, as you say, that is a very graceful negotiating point. Well, as our futurist, the, the you know, put your speaking futurist hat on, we've seen a lot of changes and COVID's really amplified technology uptake and what we do with it, you know, by about five or 10 years worth in, you know, 18 months. Take us out 10 years. What do you reckon speaking and the speaking industry is going to look like? Some have talked holograms, some are talking VRs, some are talking just still the same old, same old. What are your thoughts on, on what? the speaking industry is going to be like that far out? Yeah, look, I think it could be any or all of the above. I really do. I think that that could be in our future. Um, so I, whenever people ask me, like, what's the world going to look like in five years from now or 10 years from now, how much change are we going to see? And um, I always use what I call my double back strategy. So if you want to know how much change we're going to get in 10 years from now, look back 20 years and see how much change we've had in that time. Because, of course, the world's getting faster, and this is just a rough approximation. But 20 years ago, we had no social media. We had no smartphones. There was very old technology. Like, we we were struggling to even have broadband internet uh, at Mm. any sort of speed. And so you imagine in 10 years from now, like, if you imagine what the world was like in you know, 2002, and what's happened since then, in 10 years from now, we'll get at least as much change as that, if not more. Now, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, whether we're all going to be uh, engaging in metaverses, which is quite possible. It'd probably take less than 10 years for that to happen. But even if you look look a bit broader than that, Warwick, so I always like to look at what the what the world is going to look like. And I think that's going to be some a couple of really significant changes. One is that we're part of Asia. And we're part of this Asian part of the world. And some of those countries in Asia, China, India, Indonesia, are going to be global economic superpowers in 10 years from now. So for us in Australia, in our little country of 25 million people, girt by sea, we're still significant, but we're part of this much bigger Asian century. So I think we should be looking uh, at Asia and seeing what's happening in the speaking industry in Asia. And some of the business models are quite different there. Um, Another thing I think we should be looking at is climate change and sustainability, because even if governments aren't moving fast on that, there's going to be enough of of a groundswell that... um, the population is going to be interested in that, especially Gen Z and Gen Y. And 
actually having people attend conferences has a huge carbon footprint for every event that's run in person. And we might see that there's going to be some pushback against that. And so it doesn't mean the conferences, in-person conferences will go away, but we might see a mix of those and people are going to perhaps travel less because they can communicate online. And even things like speaking and training, that might happen online as well. Um, and the third thing is this whole Netflixization of content and expertise. Uh, you know, it, instead of charging a one-off fee for access to content, uh, perhaps you have a model like masterclass.com where you can you know, learn comedy from Steve Martin, learn tennis from Serena Williams, learn critical thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson. And that's available to you. Like I, I signed up for the comedy one from Steve Martin a few years ago, and it was $100. Uh, but now you can sign up for everything on the site for like $30 a month. So I think those sort of models are around the corner, and some of them are already here. And that's going to affect mm. us as speakers, trainers, thought leaders. Mm. I'm, I'm interested in your uh, comments about being part of Asia and as someone who of, uh, who's a Sri Lankan or of Sri Lankan heritage, I'm just interested how we're going to be able to do that in a way that's because a lot of their economies, like, for example, I know with my wife and we've travelled to Sri Lanka, I've thought, oh, see if I can get some business over here. And the amount of money that they had available to pay was way less than what I would want due to exchange rates, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people in places like Malaysia and Singapore, et cetera, they're looking at these multinationals who are happy to pay in US dollars to try and get some client base because I know there's some other speakers who have done some work there, but they're almost doing the work for book sales, but they can't be the $30 for a book sale. It's got to be, you know, sort of $8 for a book sale because they don't have the money. So I'm just really interested, how do you see us being part of that, do you think our economies are going to, for want of a better word, merge or, or, or do we just have to think of the value we're offering in different mindsets? Yeah, that's right, Warwick. And, and for myself, even though I was born in Sri Lanka, I'm, I've grown up in Australia and I'm very much a rich Westerner in terms of my mindset. So, yeah. um, and I think that, I think what's going to change is the, the business models around this. So, yeah. um, countries like, um, not so much Sri Lanka, because Sri Lanka has got a similar population, uh, to what we have in Australia, but countries like India and China, which have got massive populations, there are different business models for people who want to start businesses or uh, grow their businesses there. I remember many years ago, um, I went to uni, so I went to uni at UWA and, uh, uh, I've been part of this mentoring program where they ask past graduates to mentor uh, final year students. And uh, I did this a few years ago with a student from China, an international student, and he was doing his last year of a software engineering degree. And he wanted to go back to China and he wanted to start a business. And uh, I said, look, isn't that quite competitive because you're going into a city of like 10 million people? And he's, he said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's competitive, but also it's easy to get a thousand customers. Right. Mm. And uh, I thought that's an interesting mindset. Yeah. So it's very different for us. We've got a yeah. like a country of 25 million people um, and very few of them are, are going to be our clients. But in in large countries, there it's, it's a different way of thinking. Um, I remember I often quote, um, there's a woman, Kiran Mazumda Shaw, and she's a, um, a biotech uh, billionaire. 
And she um, has, she says that the mindset is different. If I, and if I can say Western and Eastern, even though that's very, that's very broad, but she says like in the Western mindset, it's about like you're looking to create a drug. The, uh, and a, a company that you can sell for a billion dollars. And she says that the Eastern mindset is a blockbuster drug is about serving a billion patients. Mm. And like, we can't, we can't do that. We, we haven't got a billion clients, even if everybody bought from us, if we're thinking about uh, just our little country. Um, but in mm. some of these, especially in Asia, where you've got large populations in India, China, Indonesia, um, you can have very, very low fees and sell the, sell to lots of people. Now, you can't do it yeah. by standing in front of them on stage um, because you physically can't do that. But you can create products that you sell for a dollar or $10 or $100, which we would just, um, we would cringe at that because we want to be selling them for 5000 or $10,000 to make it sustainable. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for that insight. Um, and then just a little bit of trivia for those of you who are listening. Sri Lanka has the population of Australia, but they live on an island a little bit smaller than Tasmania. So yeah, just something for everyone to think about. Let's talk about Unconvention 2022. What are the delegates going to walk away after your session? What are you talking about? What can they walk away with? Yeah, and thanks, thanks very much for inviting me to be part of this work. I'm really, I'm really pleased to be there. I'm really pleased to be there and, and share some of the things that I've learned, which is really standing on the shoulders of giants. So people like you have been absolutely amazing in these last couple of years in helping people get online and being professional online. There's other remote speaking Facebook community. There's a virtual speakers association. There's been so many people who've been really, um, really amazing in sharing so generously. And what I want to share are some ideas around the, the, the way that I present uh, from my home studio using a um, piece of open source or publicly available platform agnostic software called OBS. And I know you're familiar with this as well, Warwick, but what mm. it allows you to do is rather than only have one view of the world where people uh, look at you head and shoulders on a webcam, you can also set up different scenes where you can have one where so the ones I use, I'll have one where my slides are next to me, one where I'm scribbling on a little notepad, um, one where I can run polls and you can see the poll results uh, coming up behind me. And um, it's it's once you set it up, it's easy to use and it's you can do it yourself. So you don't need to have somebody else pressing all the buttons. Uh, you can do it yourself using this software called OBS. So I want to share some ideas around that, but I also want to make it uh, an opportunity for other people to share their own ideas about how they're using it in their business as well. Yeah. I, and I'm super impressed with your studio that you have set up. For those of you who in the PSA Facebook group, uh, Gihan shared a little bit about his studio. His document camera is just superb. It really, there's something very natural about it and why it's important to control what gets sent down the pipe to your client, whether you're using Zoom, Teams, whatever, means that you don't have to worry about how that software works. And with OBS, you can just send it down. So I've got to be honest, I am very much looking forward to your session at Unconvention. So thank you for being there. All right, let's wrap these things up with the rapid fire questions. What's your favorite platform? Zoom, Teams, Adobe Connect, what's your preferred one? Yeah, so it used to be GoToWebinar, but now Zoom, I think, has uh, leapfrogged it. So absolutely Zoom now. Yeah. What's your favorite tech hack? Um, never reply to any email in my inbox. Whoa, okay. I have to stop the rapid fire and come and go back. What do you mean never reply to an email in your inbox? Okay, so 
any email in my inbox, the only thing I'm allowed to do to it is either delete it or move it to a temporary folder. So I've got these temporary folders called today, this week, and next week. So every time I open up my email inbox, if there's any email in there, I either delete the email if I don't need it, or I move it to one of those folders and then decide if I need to action it immediately. And almost always I don't. So even if it's super, super, super urgent, it gets put away in the today folder uh, until I file all the emails, which takes about a minute. And then if there is something super, super, super urgent, then I action it then. Um, yeah, so it's like inbox zero, but it's so it's like the metaphor of having my letterbox outside my house, Warwick. So if I go and check yeah, my yeah. mail um, and there's stuff in there, I might take it. Some of it goes in the recycling bin. Some of it goes on my um, piano because it needs to be actioned pretty quickly. Uh, some of it goes into my office and so on. But, it, but I never, never, never put anything back into the letterbox. Yeah. And, and so do you do you just have set times during the day where it's set aside for email processing? Yeah, but not really. Like, yeah, yes and no, but it's not set times. It's just like whenever yeah. I get bored and I want to check my emails, I can do yeah. that. But the, the the whole idea behind this is that if I've got my priorities for the day, I don't want them to get hijacked by yeah. some email coming in, which is almost always somebody else's priority. So. Yeah. Sometimes I need to respond really quickly, but I'll do yeah. it by my choice rather than theirs. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, okay, what's your favourite meal? Um, I reckon a good piece of salmon or a lamb. I reckon that's probably my favourite. Those are those two are my favourites. Yeah. What's your favourite holiday spot? Um, yeah. Look, we um places in Europe we really love. So Nikki and I engaged and we were going to have a wedding and then COVID kind of got in the way and that so that's still on the that's still on the cards, of course. But mm. we're thinking of going to southern Spain. And uh, we really love Tuscany in Italy. So yeah, um, maybe maybe the next one will be Spain. Fantastic. What about in Australia? In Australia Holiday spots, we really like Broome, and Broome is really accessible for us in Perth. It's only a mm. three-hour flight, and it's such a such a different environment. Like, it's still this beautiful red country of ours, um, but it's so relaxing, and we just you know, take it easy. Yeah, good. Uh, what's your preference? Wine, beer, gin, vodka, tequila, scotch? Yeah, yeah, scotch is good. So really good whiskey, yeah. but mostly what we do is drink red wine. Yeah. Probably, probably Margaret River because you've got to be close to the Margaret River, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Margaret River wines are really good. And uh, we've got a plan actually to go to the, again, this is something that we planned pre-COVID was we've never really been to the wine areas around Adelaide in South Australia. So we've got a right. plan to go there because we really like some of the Barossa and McLaren Vale wines as well. Yeah, fantastic. It, they are lovely, no doubt about it. If you can have dinner with any three people in the world, who would it be, living or dead? Oh, I'd probably go for living, Warwick. It'd be pretty boring if he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it'd be a bit smelly. <laughs> I reckon my 22-year-old stepdaughter, Abby, would be one. My mm -hmm. uh, Her 21-year-old cousin, Natasha. And, uh, uh, well, whoever else they want to invite. Because mm. I really I, I I love having Nikki, I would have thought Nikki's name would have snuck in there, I've got to be honest, if you have yeah. your, your stepdaughter and stuff. Yeah, look, look, and I, I really do. Like, I have lots of good friends and lots of um, family who are kind of my age, and I love having those conversations. But I really, really love having conversations with smart, savvy, emotionally mature Gen Zs because, mm. you know, we talk about things like NFTs and gaming in the metaverse and uh, whatever, Instagram influencers, but we also talk about mm. things like 
gender fluidity and sexual identity and Indigenous rights and uh, Australia Day versus Invasion Day. And mm. I, I really, this is our future. This is their future mm. and it's our future as well. And I love those conversations. Yeah. Superb. And to wrap things up, uh, what's your favourite book or podcast that you partake in for professional inspiration or just inspiration at all? Okay, so if you take out the word professional, it's pretty much every cricket podcast on the planet. (laughs) Being true Um, to your cultural heritage there. Yeah. But uh, look, professional inspiration. So one of the podcasts I listen to is one that's called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a long-form podcast. It goes for about an hour every week. And it's about science, but not not only science, but critical thinking, like thinking Mm -hmm. differently about the world and and thinking critically and analytically about the world, trying to remove some of your unconscious biases. And, yeah, it's really about critical thinking, which I always have to keep reminding myself that I've always got these biases. Um, Mm -hmm. But the more that I can get away from that and look objectively at things, um, the better my decision-making is going to be. So I really enjoy that. And there's a whole bunch of others around that as well, like Hidden Brain is another fantastic podcast that I love listening to. Fantastic. Hey, Gihan, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, And personally, I am so looking forward to your session at Unconvention 2022, which is only a few short weeks away. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Warwick. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to another episode of the PSA Unconvention podcast. Make sure you check out all the other episodes and look forward to seeing it you at PSA Unconvention 2022. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unconventionally Speaking. We have over 30 unspeakers of this caliber at Unconvention on the 25th and 26th of March. So grab your seat today. Just click the link included in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you know who would also get value from this conversation. And follow or subscribe to the show to ensure that you never miss an episode. See you all at PSA Unconvention 2022. This episode is sponsored by your podcast concierge, podcast production for speakers who want to increase their authority and generate leads from their show. You press record and let them do the rest. And to this, I can personally attest. 